Today is March 8th, 2021. A growing movement pushing for secession builds within the GOP. Biden signs a voting rights executive order and states lift mask mandates. Welcome back, Split the Difference friends and Split the Difference family. We got another fantastic episode here for you bright and early on this Monday morning, bringing you all the best news and insights from both the left and the right side of the aisle. We have been working diligently all weekend long, my friends, to bring you the best podcast that we have done thus far in our podcasting journey because we know that that's what y'all are yearning for. You guys want to be able to parse through the political divide just as much as I do to split the difference and find that sweet, sweet truth that lies right there in the middle. So without further ado, let's hop on into our first story of the day. Story number one. So for our first story, a growing movement pushing towards secession starts to build within the good old party. So there have been growing talks about secession from within the GOP for a little while now. For the most part, they haven't been taken very seriously. I think that you see uh, every now and then there are secession talks that come from either side of the aisle once every couple of decades or maybe once every single time that a certain political party actually falls out of power. And for the most part, most Americans don't necessarily take it very seriously because I think most Americans sitting in their current place can't really imagine a situation that would come about where a portion of America actually decided to secede from the from the union. However, I will say there is a st- there's a portion of the GOP that actually is pushing towards it and it's gaining a lot more steam and more and more momentum than we previously had thought. So there are a lot of people on the right side of the aisle that think that fracturing that the fracturing within the country as it currently sits is growing more and more day by day. Many point to the growing differences between the two parties and the agendas that both of them push because objectively the far left and the far right push very, very different agendas. Okay. Politics have always been incredibly diverse and incredibly devi- divisive in America because there have always been people in this country that have a, have very, very different views from one another, right? Especially as to how the government should run. It stems from a wide variety of different differences in lifestyles, religion, values, race, socioeconomic statuses, and much more. America legitimately is a melting pot and it kind of always has been that way. There have always been small pockets of people, however, that have kind of pushed towards secession. We've only had one time in our country, as many of you know, where that growing, that small portion of people actually grew to a group that was large enough to actually move for secession, and that ended up in a bloody civil war. So whenever... A party doesn't, you know, maybe their party falls out of favor or they're not winning the specific amount of elections that they want. There's a small group that'll be like, oh, well, you know, we should just we should push away. We should secede from the union. So for great example of this is in 2008, 2009, the former governor of Texas, Rick Perry, Rick Perry, openly discussed secession as a solution to the Obama being elected president multiple times. And plenty of people within the Jim Crow South as well also tossed around the idea of secession when the federal government mandated integration, especially within schools. Many at that point in time, especially within the southern states, a lot of the southern Democrats decided that secession was the only way that they'd be able to fix the problems within America because there were too diverse of opinions about how America should proceed going forward. 
However, I will say in these conversations, these conversations now are starting to become much more mainstream, especially in right-leaning circles. And I think more so than they have a lot of times in the past. Even when you saw in democratic circles in the Jim Crow South, people pushing for or saying that secession would be a good idea in order to repair some of the divisiveness that was occurring within the country at the time. It wasn't on mainstream democratic airwaves, at least that I have been able to find or in any of the research that I've done. Granted, I was not alive during the 1950s and 60s, so maybe that was incredibly prevalent amongst democratic talking circles and maybe more mainstream democratic news. However, you're starting to see secession talks within Republican circles and Republican pundits, political pundits especially, actually pushing towards secession as a legitimate thing that could happen. Now it's starting to take a step in a very real way. So a study done by Brightline Watch Group, made up of researchers from Dartmouth, the University of Rochester, and the University of Chicago, released a study that they did over a couple months, they released it in February, that found that one-third of all Republicans said that they would support secession. And then I also found that of the Republicans within the former Confederacy, so within the southern states primarily, the Deep South, and then also tacking on Kentucky and Oklahoma, who were not part of the Confederacy, 50% of those Republicans supported secession, or something that looked like secession. This past month, a bill was actually proposed in the Texas legislature that would allow for Texans to vote on whether or not to secede. So there are bills being pushed forward in state legislatures of primarily Republican states that actually move towards secession. So let's hop in real quick. And take a uh, let's listen to this video it was reported out of uh, San Antonio New San Antonio news station actually talking through a bit about this bill. Now attend a Texas independence bill filed in the state house today. Representative Kyle Biederman, a Republican from Fredericksburg, is behind the bill. It is not a resolution to make Texas secede from the United States immediately. Instead, it would let Texans vote on whether the state legislature should create a committee to develop a path toward independence. Biederman announced the bill filing in a tweet today saying, quote, for decades, the promises of America and our individual liberties have been eroding. Now is the time for the people of Texas to have the right to decide their own future, end quote. He also used the hashtag Texit. Right, so this bill specifically, uh, the idea behind it would be to create a committee that would lay out the steps that would need to be taken in order to actually secede from the union and for Tex Texas to declare its independence. This is the first legitimate bill that has been proposed to take steps towards secession since the Civil War. And it was not denounced by the Texas governor, Rick Abbott, at all. He never once came out and said that this was a b bad bill that needed to be thrown out. He never talked against this bill specifically. And the state GOP actually endorsed the bill. It, it stood behind the guy that proposed it. Okay? So very real. I mean, that is the state GOP actually endorsing a movement towards secession there in Texas. There are also plenty, plenty of right-leaning political commentators that are also giving, lending a lot of credence to secession talks. So Glenn Beck, 
He's a very conservative political pundit and head of the Blaze and the Blaze TV, which is a extremely you know kind of far right wing or more conservative uh, talking like political talk show. Uh, and they said in mid December of last year that he would vote for secession. That's Glenn Beck. Uh, multiple employees at the Blaze have also tweeted out their support for secession. So that is someone that is on their airwaves and has a very very large following of conservatives in America that is saying that he would push towards a move of secession. So it is clear from a legal standpoint that secession is not legal at all. For a while, especially leading up to the Civil War, there were a lot of talks about whether or not states had the right to actually secede from the Union if they saw fit, and the legal precedent is there. That, of course, is absolutely illegal, and the Civil War shows that. Uh, The the late Justice Antonio Scalia, um, actually came out and had uh, a really, really interesting, basically, argument and point around it and basically was like, there's no way that there's any type, or Scalia, I don't know why I said Scalia, Scalia had a very, very interesting point where she talked through in an opinion piece about how the Civil War basically decided there is legal precedent for secession and it is illegal for a state to secede. So, that means that any acts or p- walks towards secession would then be an act pushing towards war. States do not have the right to vote to leave without it being an act of all-out aggression towards the United States of America. So growing talks of leaving the Union are and should be taken seriously. And there is no doubt that many Americans have been drifting apart. The bridge between the two aisles seem or between the bridge between the two parties seems to be growing larger and larger. However, Maintaining the integrity of the union is, of course, of the utmost importance. I don't have to go through all the horrible impacts for everybody to realize how awful secession would actually be. And it obviously has already been tried once before, and that resulted in one of the most bloody wars that America has ever been through, especially in the terms of you know, actual American casualties. It makes me incredibly nervous. It makes me anxious. It worries me to think about the fact that there are growing circles within the Amer- within the American Republican Party that think that it is a good idea to entertain the talks of and lend credence to the eye the view of secession breaking up the United States from any standpoint at all is an absolutely horrendous idea absolutely awful just because we live in a country with a plethora of incredibly diverse viewpoints does not mean this country cannot and will not continue to move forward and grow and be able to be governed by that group of people collectively there's no reason why the united states has been able to last thus far right under the incredibly extenuating circumstances that the united states has come through over the past 200 years and think that it doesn't have the opportunity to continue to go forward There are just as many people with differing opinions now as there were in the early 1800s or mid-1800s, early 1900s and mid-1900s, okay? We have, yes, a very, very diverse and different population in the United States that disagree on a lot of things. However, we have a system in place that works as a democratic republic to be able to lend credence to a wide variety of different voices and allow for the people to be able to govern themselves through representation within Congress and within the presidency. And that is a good thing. That we, I, I, It honestly blows my mind, breaks my heart, that there are legitimately Republicans that are lending credence to the idea of secession. But that's the world in which we live right now, and I think that's why there needs to be more voices like this podcast and the people that listen to this podcast that are like, no, you know what, secession secession may not be a good idea. Maybe we should try to reach across the aisle a little bit because that could be helpful also. 
Who knows? Who knows? So with all of that having been said, that is the end of our first story of the day. Let's hop on into our second story, story number two. So for our second story of the day, Biden votes Biden lays out a voting executive order, voting rights executive order. So we talked a good bit in our last podcast about the For the Act, For the People Act of 2021. This was passed by the House last week with the main objective of changing a lot of voting and a lot of ethics laws to hopefully open up voting procedures, making it much easier for people to register to vote and to vote. We talked through how the Democrats loved it, about how the Republicans didn't, citing that this would open the door for more fraud in our elections, especially changing the electoral process that we have right now, would basically open the door to people being able to rig the system and get in whatever representatives that they want, depending on how much money they pay. So, Biden realizing, I think, that the House of Representatives passed it, but this would likely get filibustered or fall apart within the Senate, decided to step in and sign an executive order that would kind of stem the process, speed the process up a little bit of expanding voting privileges to much more people and to get more people registered to vote. So Sunday's order directs the head of all federal agencies to submit proposals for their respective agencies to promote voter registration and participation within 200 days of the executive order signing while assisting states in voter registration under the National Voter Registration Act. In addition, the order instructs the General Services Administration to modernize the federal government's vote.gov portal. The goal of this is basically to get as many people in registered as possible. Um, Biden said, quote, every eligible voter should be able to vote and have that vote counted. If you have the best ideas, you have nothing to hide. Let the people vote, Biden said. So. As of February, state legislatures, it, legislators in 43 states have introduced more than 250 bills with different voting provisions, according to a tally from the Brennan Center for Justice at New York University. However, I will say, uh, depending on where, what you're looking at, from which side you're looking at, which news side you're look, news channel you're looking at. A lot of this is incredibly partisan. So the left is pushing very, very hard the notion that Republicans are wanting to heavily restrict and suppress voting. If you go on to CNN, MSNBC, NBC News, Huffington Post, any more left-leaning site, you will see a plethora of praises for the unilateral executive order that Joe Biden just wrote and the House of Representatives pushing the agenda for the, you know, for the People Act I was at pass last week. Uh, much of this is founded upon the idea that Republicans are purposefully and pointedly trying to restrict people from being able to go in and cast their votes, especially minorities. Okay, that is a big shtick on the left as well, that the Republicans are trying to oppress minority votes. There's absolutely a conclusion widespread on the left side of the aisle that voting should be made as easy as possible. Registering should be as easy as possible. Verification of votes should be easy as easy as possible. And all of that sounds all well and good. However, there are obviously going to be very, very small nuances within that that, of course, could lead to opposing arguments being correct. So what does the right have to say? So the right is being 
is basically that that all of this is being done in order to be able to push fraud so that the Democrats can capitalize upon that and keep Republicans from being able to come into office. So Republican states have been pushing different bills through state legislatures over the past few months that are aimed at trying to restrict the power that the governor and other individuals would have to change electoral processes within their states unilaterally. Much of these provisions make it much more difficult to change voter laws, primarily making it a decision that has to be made by the state legislature instead of a voting commission within the state or the power of the governor. So, in a lot of states, the governor has a lot of power or the electoral commission, unelected officials, have a lot of power, committees, to be able to decide what the different voting laws are going to be within their state and even within specific counties within their state as well. Republicans have been pushing hard to be able to have a lot of those rights and privileges stripped from the governor and placed into the power of the state legislatures. A lot of this is obviously because For a lot of states, Republicans actually hold a majority of the legislature within the state. Even in even in states that you know, like California or in New York, where you there are heavily heavily voting Democratic states, there are a good portion of their legislatures that tend to be Republican, especially if you look at like Northern California, for example, uh, because. More nor- more rural areas tend to vote very Republican, and not everywhere is a big city, right? So if you're broken up by districts within within a state, there are going to be obviously a lot more rural areas in most states than there are going to be states that are pr- dominated primarily by cities, okay? Thus, Republicans are like, well, if we're able to stymie a lot of the voting changing law- vote-changing laws uh, within the state legislature— then, you know, it is done by a larger amount of people and a governor can't step in and say unilaterally that something can or can't happen. So the key here is to recognize that when one side is accusing the other side of something incredibly egregious, very, very frequently, it normally is the case that both sides have some stuff wrong just as a good rule of thumb to go through. If the Democrats are pointing at the Republicans and they're saying they hate black people and they don't want black people to vote because all Republicans are racist— then you can pretty well, you know, just good rule of thumb, something seems a little bit off here, right? So I will start by saying, we do not currently have an absolutely rampant voter fraud problem within this country. And most of that is due to how our voting process is currently structured. It is incredibly decentralized. I've talked about this at length within the podcast over the past couple months, but it is decentralized and in the hands of many people that make decisions on how voting can actually be carried out. And as a result, we have much lower fraud than the vast majority of other developed countries. However, it is also the case that voter suppression, although it may be happening is also incredibly low. It is at a historical low. I have not seen anything driven by data that would provoke me to conclude that minorities are being purposefully suppressed in a very, very widespread and rampant manner in order to be able to keep them from going to a poll booth and casting their vote. I just don't see that in the data. And granted, I could be wrong, right? I am absolutely open to being able to hear and see a different side of that argument and maybe be enlightened to different research that I haven't seen so far. However, from anything and everything, the research and the stuff that I've seen, the accusation that Republicans are actively suppressing black and brown voters through laws and systemic change that is happening within Republican states, I'm not able to see it. Okay, so 
Yeah, I, I think a lot of this actually comes from the idea that requiring an, a federal issue, federally issued ID to vote is voter suppression, or requiring uh, matching signatures to be on a ballot, uh, and the voter and the actual person's signature on uh, their license or on any other type of government or federal bill is voter suppression as well. But that is just categorically wrong. Requiring somebody to verify that they are who they say that they are is not voter suppression. That is just a simple measure that you going to put in place in order to be able to help eliminate a large amount of fraud that could happen. So I will say personally, I do not want the federal government to be able to dictate or decide how voting laws can and should be carried out. We have a decentralized voting process for a reason, okay? There are pros and cons to that, like everything else. The pro is that there tend to be significantly less fraud. The con is that it will be much slower to update and adapt to changes that need to take place, okay? So when you have a more decentralized, when, when the power is in the hands of a large amount of people, it's much more difficult to get that rudder to turn and for that ship to actually start to move in a different direction, okay? And this could be adapting to the changes in increased technology. Technology, the, the demand for more mail-in voting, the demand for more Dropbox voting or balloting. A lot of these things are difficult to adapt to and they ensure that things are, you know, it's difficult to ensure that a lot of these things are being done efficient and with high quality manners, right? Uh, the Republicans are right, okay, when they say that opening the doors for incredibly easy access to voting for whoever wants to go and cast a ballot will, of course, allow for more people to be able to commit fraud, okay? If you're opening the door for uh, not allowing a voter ID or allowing people to walk around and ballot harvest or allow pe allowing anybody to mail in a ballot, right? Uh, in whatever way that looks like without any verification of the mail or who it's coming, coming from, all of that, of course, will push towards more fraud within our electoral system. However, the Democrats are also correct when they say that our voting systems need an upgrade and we should always be striving to ensure that the most people are eligible to vote, okay? That the most people have the opportunity to vote and that it is as efficient as possible for them to vote because reducing the difficulty in voting will always lead to higher turnout and we of course want as many people as possible going out having their voices heard, and voting for the representatives that they feel are the best to represent them in their constituency, okay? What makes me uncomfortable is how much Biden is loving writing these executive orders, okay? Instead of allowing legislation to pass through Congress like it should be doing, if laws need to be changed, okay, it should be done through the legislative branch, it shouldn't be done through the executive. It makes me very, very nervous to think that now presidents, starting with Bush and coming up through Trump and now into Biden, are more and more and more comfortable with just unilaterally writing executive orders in order to be able to solve problems because they don't like how slow it is to actually get stuff legislated through the houses of Congress. This is something that needs to be addressed by Congress and eventually reviewed by the Supreme Court. That's what needs to take place. That is how good law comes into being, okay? If the majority of our legislature agrees that voting laws need to be changed and they come together and negotiate and work through a bill and then that, you know, at, at some point ends up getting sued or different laws are, are challenged in courts and it gets taken up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court decides that it is constitutional and that legislation should stand, then that is what our legislative process looks like in America, Okay. Biden, I don't think, needs to be going out signing unilateral decisions that allow for changing of voting uh, or, or basically changing 
telling states and forcing states to change the way that they have their voting law structured right now because that's not the role of the president. Anyways, I digress. So with all of that, that is the end of our second story of the day. Let's go ahead and hop on into our third story and our last story, story number three. So for our third story of the day, states lift mask mandates. There are many states that have now decided to lift mask mandates and open their states up completely across the country. Most notably was Texas and Missouri. They, they were kind of like the big, the, the first two big humdingers that came out and they were like, you know what, we're just going to do it. We're just going to let this thing up, just rip roaring. Both governors decided to list the ma- lift the mask mandates within the last week or so and both drew very, very sharp criticisms from the left. South Carolina has also decided to lift mask mandates as well, although I believe specifically in South Carolina that is only within federal buildings, storefronts, and different businesses are still allowed to you know, require you to wear masks if you're in their specific establishment. So some health officials are coming out and saying that this is going to cause a lot more people to contract COVID because we aren't in a place to be able to lift restrictions yet and allowing people to congregate in mass and not have to wear masks like they were before the pandemic will, of course, increase the amount of people that could be contracting COVID. So let's go ahead and hop in. This is NBC News reporting on this just a few days ago. Dr. Bob, let's now switch over to states reopening, because I do want to ask you about Texas and Mississippi and the decision there to lift all restrictions, including mask mandates. Now, with millions of people no longer being told they have to wear a mask, Texas on its own is a huge place with a lot of people, people who are going to travel in and out of the state. How much could this set the U.S. back as a whole? Well, I think it's a big mistake to give up with mitigation at this early stage. First of all, we haven't hit herd immunity, which means it's unsafe to go out into crowds without wearing a mask and without social distancing and washing your hands frequently. I would, for example, never not wear my mask in my Mm. office with all of my patients, even though some of them have no symptoms whatsoever of COVID-19. So I think it's a big mistake, and I hope that we're keeping careful records in Texas and the other states that lift the mask to find out whether there's a bump up, which I expect there'll probably be. There'll probably be a bump up of several thousand new cases Mm. as soon as this uh, mandate is lifted. Oh, that is not good to hear. Okay. I also want to apologize earlier. I said Texas and Missouri. I meant to say Texas and Mississippi were the two states that came out and decided to lift the max mandate. So uh, Biden came out and condemned this pretty harshly. So he said, quote, the last thing, the last thing we need is Neanderthal thinking that in the meantime, everything's fine. Take off your mask. Forget it. It still matters. He then referenced a little card that he supposedly keeps in his pocket at all times that reminds him of how many people uh, that have died of COVID so far in the United States. And he talked through the importance of basically doing all the things that we should be doing, social distancing and keeping all these mandates in place. Um, So Biden came out and, of course, called a bunch of these Republican states (laughs) Neanderthals. So. Uh, The Republican-led states have come out and said that lifting these restrictions were in direct line with the decline of the numbers that we've seen over the past month, especially over the past couple weeks. So Renee, I believe her last name is Easy or Ease, Renee Easy, the Texas governor's press secretary came out and said, quote, it is clear from the recoveries, the vaccinations, the reduced hospitalizations and the safe practices that Texans are using that state mandates are no longer needed. We must now do more to restore livelihoods and normalcy for Texans. Then Tate Reeves, the governor of Mississippi, came out and said this. Quote, given how long ago Mr. Biden was elected to the U.S. Congress, he certainly should know how Neanderthals think. (laughs) 
But here's the reality. I trust the people of Mississippi to make the right decisions. I trust the American people to make the right decisions. The fact of the matter is you cannot focus on data and science and making good decisions on those days when the numbers are going up and ignore the data and science on those days when the numbers are going down. And the fact of the matter is, is that we've seen significant drops. So that's pretty hilarious. Looks like uh, Tate Reeves, governor of Mississippi, threw it right back at Mr. Biden. Um, but it is clear, I will say, the COVID numbers have been falling pretty dramatically over the past month, month and a half. Uh, people are desperate to be able to go back to what they were doing before the pandemic started. We are now well over a year in and people are tired of wearing masks and not able to go to public gatherings the way that they should for just a little bit of, I guess, perspective or numbers around the COVID case numbers at the beginning of January, around January 8th, that was where we hit our peak in the United States of new cases today of a, per day of around 300,000, over 300,000 new cases per day. We are now sitting at right around 65,000 new cases per day. That is an extremely significant decline, okay? And of course, 65,000 new cases a day is not a small amount at all. When we were shutting the entire country down last year in order to be able to, to slow the spread, we were at like 10, 15 20. So we're still well, well above where obviously we want or need to be, but many people are becoming much more comfortable with going out and about, especially because of the increases in vaccination. So a great example of this, and this is incredibly anecdotal, but I sat down with an older gentleman that I went, that I go to church with over the past, this past weekend. And, uh, my wife and I were sitting there and he asked us, uh, what we were comfortable with, if we were comfortable with or without our masks. He then proceeded to tell us that he's more than happy to not have masks on because he has already gotten his vaccination. So he wasn't worried about getting it or giving it to anyone anymore. And you know, we were, if we wanted to, if we were comfortable, we could take our masks off. This right here is an incredibly, it's a growing sentiment that a lot of people, especially elderly older people, elderly people that are like, I haven't been able to go out and enjoy myself for a, over a year. As soon as I get my vaccination, I am going out free willy, having a good time. I am, I am tired of having to have a mask on all the time. I'm tired of having to sit in my house all the time. I want to be able to go out and do anything and everything that I want to do like I could before. Now, having said all of that, I still do not understand people's aversion to masks. I just do not get it. It is clear through many studies and through data that masks help the issue and they make it more difficult to spread COVID. Just so much data and studies behind it. It's also just common sense. If you've got something covering your face, it's going to be more difficult for you to be breathing all your COVID air all over the people around you. So the need to open back up businesses to full capacity is one that I absolutely sympathize with a lot. I understand why opening the economy up is incredibly important. I understand the need for businesses to open back up, and I understand the need for people to be able to go back to work. There's nothing wrong with telling people that they need to wear a mask, though. Why? Why can't people wear a mask? It literally is the smallest inconvenience that you can possibly make to yourself that could help protect yourself and others from COVID. If you want to open businesses back up and get the economy going back, I understand that sentiment. Okay. But just tell people they got to wear a mask. Why lift the mask mandate? I don't know. Thoughts with Austin Taylor. So with all of that having been said, that is the end of our third story and last story of the day. Let's go ahead and hop on in to our last little bit, something that made me smile. 
So something that made me smile this weekend, this is going to sound really dumb. And I know that my wife is absolutely going to make fun of this when I talk to, when she hears this on this podcast right now, but my brother and I, and I don't know why we decided to do this, but he wanted to make a fishing rod holder that would basically mount to the top of his car. Okay. So we got together and out of some PVC pipe we picked up from Lowe's, made a fishing rod holder that can now mount on the top of his forerunner. And it has gotten me so excited to go fishing again. I absolutely love fishing. It's one of my favorite hobbies and pastimes, and things are starting to warm back up. That springtime crisp feeling is in the air, and all I can think about and all I know right now is there's going to be some big old bass that are ready to get caught here very, very soon. So... That is absolutely what made me smile, and it's probably what's going to be making me smile for the next couple of months, because there is no better fishing than spring bass fishing. You can take that one to the bank. So with all of that having been said, that is the end of our show today. Thank you so much for stopping by and for checking us out. As always, y'all remember to find me on Instagram at Split the Difference Podcast. I'm on Facebook and YouTube at Split the Difference, and my website at SplitTheDifference.com with one T. Go there and check me out. Go to all these places and drop me some likes and subscribes because those things go such a long way with getting my show out there and into the ears of new listeners. And of course, it tells me what kind of content that y'all like and that I can continue to produce for you. So thank you for stopping by. As always, y'all remember, we're going to do our best to stay level-headed. We are always going to be reasonable. And of course, we're going to split the difference. This is Austin Taylor.